Welcome to DeFi Expectations. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. Today we have on Xavier Eckel, founder of PrePO, a decentralized pre-IPO and pre-token trading platform. How are you doing today, Xavier? Very well. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, your crypto journey began in 2013 while living in Korea developing video game jams. Can you share with us your journey from those early days to now and what brought you ultimately to PrePO? Yeah, well, I guess 2013 was when I was starting uni. I was doing economics and finance uh, and computer science. So I think those are uh, perfect combo for getting into crypto, even though I didn't know it at the time. Uh, so I was really interested in the, um, I guess, Bitcoin and um, altcoin kind of space back then, but they weren't programmable at the time. Um, so I just was drawn to the Wild West nature of it. Uh, a bit later, so 2017, is when I got back into the space and um, that was around the time of the ICO boom and also when Ethereum was around. So now you could program uh, your crypto and add all kinds of applications on top. And I was hosting game jams, which are like hackathons for game development. Um, so for example, uh, the first one I hosted was music game jam. So you create games that are related to or themed around music. Um, unexpected jam where you create games that are unexpected in nature, movie game jam where you create games that are based on a movie scene. Um, so I wanted to get all these participants around the world creating these kinds of video games. Um, and yeah, so I was following the crypto space and I wanted to explore creating games on the blockchain. And so when I was living in Korea, I found this uh, blockchain game jam um, hosted by Loom Network. So I was creating um, games through the Crypto Zombies course. No, I was learning Solidity through the Crypto Zombies course. And that's how I found out about the Loom Network um, hackathon. Um, and so I attended that hackathon. Um, and that got me interested in the space and I wanted to explore it further. And then I got back to Australia um, and I found these guides called FlexTaps. And they were creating um, a bunch of crypto projects. Um, a bunch of MVPs for some reputable projects, for example, uh, Mstable, um, Maple Finance, um, and a bunch of other pretty cool projects out of Australia. Um, and so my first role was creating the smart contracts, very early smart contracts for Mstable. Um, and that was my first kind of DeFi project. And after that, I went to work for Canva, which is I think now the largest private software company in the world in terms of valuation. Um, while I was there, I was really bullish on its long-term success. So I wanted to get more upside exposure. Um, and that wasn't possible as a retail investor. Um, so I wanted to basically fix my own problem, combining what I knew about DeFi and allow people to get upside exposure. And so I came up with Prepio. So Prepio is a decentralized training platform for um, pre-public exposure, which means you can get upside or downside exposure to any pre-public asset, whether that's a private company like SpaceX or Stripe or a uh, pre-token crypto project like OpenSea or Optimism or Arbitrum, for example. Excellent. And pre-PO is a decentralized pre-IPO 
and pre-token trading platform. I can see how something like this would be valuable, but before we get into the why, let me ask you how this platform works. I'm assuming it works like other derivatives that track value of particular assets with there being a counterparty, but feel free to explain it as best way you can. Yeah, so it's a synthetic asset pl platform in the sense that not directly backed by real world shares or real world equity or crypto um, tokens. Um, and that by nature of it being synthetic, that's what allows us to scale it infinitely. So if you have a limited number of shares and you're dealing with the real world assets, then you're beholden to um, those shareholders and them being willing to sell it at a particular price. Um, and of course that requires all these secondary markets which are inefficient um, that you see um, as they are right now. So in the secondary markets right now, in order to get access to these kinds of um, private equity, what you would need to do is go through some kind of secondary market and through that you would have to come up with some negotiation um, this process could take days or weeks and there's no real transparent pricing. So you're probably getting a bad price there as well. The fees are pretty astronomical, five to 10% or higher. Um, and you have to fill out all this paperwork as well. Um, so we wanted to fix all those problems as well. So by being decentralized, uh, you're getting a much lower, um, well, the fees are pretty like uh, way, way lower. Um, transactions are instant as well. And since we're not tied to the direct number of shares, um, that means anyone can get exposure um, infinitely. Um, in terms of how it works, um, it's architecturally similar to a prediction market in the sense that you have underlying um, long and short tokens, and that determines whether you're taking long exposure or short exposure. And so basically these are each backed by collateral. So everyone is depositing stable coins, um, which creates the collateral that backs these long and short positions. And then when it goes public, we feed in a final settlement price, which determines how the collateral is split between the long side and the short side. Um, and that's how we basically guarantee that there is always value behind these long and short positions. And um, there's that final settlement price, but prior to that, it's pure speculation on an underlying AMM layer. Now, is it mostly expected that the people taking long and short positions will um, will be following the trends that these products will actually take? I mean, one of the questions that, that I had when I was talking with Robin about this was, you know, obviously the valuation ranges could be really high for a project like SpaceX, for example. Um, and certain news items could make that make that value go higher, uh, new product releases, so on and so forth. But what if someone for acting uh, maliciously had a bunch of bots um, targeted to short a position against what the market was doing? W would there be any, what security prevents someone, I guess, from doing something like that? Well, I mean, if, if you manipulate the market like that, um, and you don't believe that is the fair price. So if you think it's at the fair price and you're trying to manipulate it downwards, then that's only at your own cost because when it does settle, you're going to be in a, in a losing position. Um, so it doesn't really make sense to do that. Um, our platform has no liquidations either. So um, there's no point trying to swing the prices to liquidate someone because you can't be liquidated. 
Um, so there wouldn't be any benefit to doing that kind of thing. Okay, excellent. That makes sense. And also I have the simulator pulled up. Is this a good way to kind of take a look and, and browse uh, what a transaction might look like? Yeah, so it allows you to play out different scenarios as a trader or an LP. So, um, of course, in reality, you wouldn't get to choose your entry price or exit price. That'll depend on what the current price is at the time when you want to enter or exit. Um, but you can play out hypothetical scenarios. So if I were able to enter at this price and I were able to exit at this price, this is what it would look like, um, including like the maximum loss and maximum profit scenarios. Um, which is good to visualize as well. I had a quick question, actually. Are you going to have some kind of Oracle linked to this that actually like determines the value of these companies on a real-time basis? No, so that's one of the challenges um, by nature of it being private is that there is no Oracle for private companies. There's only an Oracle when it goes public, um, which is why it's pure speculation on the AMMs um, until it goes public. Um, so pre-public, it's all... Um, pure speculation. When it does go public, that's when we find in the final value. And that's what kind of gives it that final, um, gives it the speculative value. So are all the companies then that are going to be listed in here, are these are these ones that pre-PO pre will be choosing or can anyone add them? And then like, is there a reason that you're choosing these specific companies? Is it because they have the intention of launching an actual, you know, public sale sometime soon? Yeah, so it, it'll all be decided via governance. Um, so all the new markets and the market parameters that they're set up with. Um, but what we would like to see um, is a small curated range of markets. Um, that's so we can start off with really highly liquid markets rather than um, an open floor of uh, dispersed liquidity markets. Um, so we'll start with the, I would like to start with a small curated range of markets across um, different industries, different geographies, and across um, pre-IPO and pre-token. And what's guiding your decision-making on which projects or which, um, which projects are going to be included first? Like I know SpaceX, OpenSea, and MetaMask were some examples, but is like market research guiding this, like that there are audience, audiences already wanting this type of project, product to exist? Or, or what's driving, I guess, the projects on that list? I guess it would be driven by um, hype factor. So whatever people want to trade the most and what we think would be the would get the most volume, I think those would most likely succeed as um, proposed markets. So like, let's say something like OpenSea, what kind of uh, like, what plans do they have right now to actually go public? Is that public knowledge? Is that listed somewhere in particular that they're planning that? Or will this no, so all, all, of, all of these um, companies and pre-token projects, they don't need to explicitly be at the stage right before they're going public. They don't have to be at the stage where they've announced that they're going public and this is the date. Um, we just create the market um, on the assumption that they are going public. Um, if they don't go public, then it just redeems at a floor settlement price, but there's a long, long time window for it to go public. Um, and so people... Yeah, our token holders will naturally select markets where they think it will eventually go public sometime soon. So then how, how do you actually get like a valuation to start out with for some of these? I guess it's, it's purely supply and demand. So if people think the valuation is too low, then 
um, they see an opportunity there and they'll trade on that um, because they think they can make a profit. So you're saying that like if something was listed for, you know, like let's say SpaceX was listed for a hundred million, um, yeah. that's just a number that you guys choose. And then people will essentially like buy in long or short against that value that you set. Yeah. So basically if it was listed for a hundred million, well, it's probably worth closer to a hundred billion. So and people, billion, people would trade it up. <laughs> people would trade it up until it reaches a more reasonable valuation. And the person that got um, trading from that early position um, has a, has a good position set up. And are there any projects in DeFi that are comparable to how pre-PO works? I know we found one other, uh, probably the most similar uh, project, Equity Zen. Is that a comparable project? Or are there any others you'd say are similar competitors? Yeah, so these are the centralized competitors. Um, but as I mentioned before, they have a lot of downsides. Um, so you're going to be dealing with all these paperwork, higher fees, um, privacy issues, um, non-instant transactions, so days or weeks. Um, you have a liquidity problem and you have a price transparency problem. Um, so all of these things you can solve by making it decentralized. Gotcha. And is pre-PO audited currently, or do you have plans to audit? So we aren't live yet, um, but we do plan to get audited, yeah. Can you share some information about what funding has been raised for pre-PO and who some of your largest backers are, and any info on the team you'd like to share? Yeah, so we've been funded a few months ago um, through the DAO. Um, so we raised $1.1 million uh, through a number of investors, including Apollo Capital, Dalau, Maven 11 Capital, and then a bunch of um, founders, or well, a bunch of other funds and other founders from um, other DeFi protocols, um, some fintech companies, and some NFT uh, projects as well. And can you share with us a bit about growing a community for this? I noticed one of your projects was the Preacher Program. Um, uh, I think it's listed on your blog, but yeah, please share with us what it's like growing a community for a project like this. Yeah, we, we think it's really critical to have a community from the beginning because the community um, will be driving a lot of the decisions around how the protocol moves forward and the different markets that we create um, and the whole governance system. And so we want to have that in place from the beginning. Um, the Prepio Preacher Program was just one example of that. Um, so you can become a preacher by spreading the good word about Prepio. Um, so essentially doing a bunch of different actions, whether it's you know, following us on our socials or, or um, sharing our articles or even writing an article, um, all these different things that can contribute to um, helping to get raise the awareness of Prepure and get more people to join the community. And speaking a little bit more to governance, what's going to be the value of holding PPO tokens and how will governance function? Um, and feel free to share details on the launch of the token. Yeah, so the, the tokenomics are designed in such a way that um, we want long-term um, token holders. Um, so we want people who are incentivized to consider long-term decisions and what will um, make the protocol uh, and platform more useful and valuable in the longer term. Um, so there are a number of mechanisms similar to uh, curve finance where you do a time locking mechanism and if you do a certain amount of time locking um, that boosts your ability to earn rewards um, so it's a bit of a trade-off there 
Um, but if you're looking out for the longer term, you're going to get boosted rewards um, from the emissions of new PPO tokens. Um, and so basically we're incentivizing people to um, have a longer term view with their decisions rather than just coming in for the short term. Will they be able to earn PPO tokens in any way by just participating in the ecosystem or how will the release go? Will people just purchase tokens or? Yeah, so we'll likely have some kind of um, token launch where you can get access to a bunch of them. Um, then because it's an ESC20, you can just um, get it off secondary markets as well. Um, and yeah, um, by using the platform as well, you can also earn it. So traders, LPs will always um, earn some amount of PPO rewards. And then um, our, our platform will be heavily gamified as well. So there's different ways of earning things. Um, for example, you can unlock achievements, earn experience points and level up. And then you have your own like avatar on your profile, um, which you can level up and add things and earn NFTs for. Um, and there is some PPO mechanism tied to that as well. Is that the Acquisition Royale game? No, the Acquisition Royale game is um, what started out as just a um, fancy guerrilla marketing tactic, but now it's evolved into its own fully fleshed game. Um, so basically that's a NFC game um, themed around mergers and acquisitions, um, where it's about Battle Royale um, to be one of the last surviving enterprises. So you can compete with other enterprises, merge with other ones that you own to become more powerful and acquire others so that you can accumulate um, these runway points, um, which allow you to compete with other companies um, at an accelerated rate. And so there's all kinds of strategies that will evolve there. Um, there'll be, yeah, um, the main aim there is to attract the NFT crowd who we think will be very interested in our core platform and its gamification aspect. Excellent. And when will that game be released again? And when will there be more details about it on the site? Yeah, there will be more details about the game within the next week. So I'd, I'd like to kind of uh, flesh this out a little more because I don't have a finance background. So something like this is a little more complex for me to wrap my head around. So um, how simple do you think this is going to be to actually get people who are just like your simple crypto traders or possibly have people who are, you know, in the finance market, but maybe haven't transitioned over to crypto yet. How easy is that going to be? Yeah, we're trying to make that as simple as possible because who we're targeting is um, those traders who were excluded um, previously from investing in these private opportunities. Um, we basically want to make it accessible to everyone. To make it accessible for everyone, uh, it needs to be a really really simple trading experience, not just for crypto native people. Um, it will be simple for them as well. But in the long term, we'd like to make it um, simple enough that your grandma, for example, could use this platform and not be confused. Um, so even with our UX now, um, and even you can preview it through the simulator as well, um, it's very, very simple. You just select a number of choices and input an amount, and that's it. Um, and then behind the scenes, um, there's all this complexity going on, but we abstract that away. When it comes to these actual assets that you're betting on, is it just consistently going to be um, synthetic assets? So is it just going to be synthetic assets or at some point, it, do people actually get these private or these private stocks like when they launch publicly? Is there some kind of mechanism that buys those and gives them the assets that they had previously? 
or is this all just no, no, no. We, we, we just yeah we, we just we just focus focus on the pre-public side of things because once it does go public there are many many avenues and even other protocols um, that focus specifically on that aspect and um, we're trying to address the problem which is that you can't get exposure um, on the pre-public or private side of things and um, which is where most of the upside traditionally is okay so basically somebody coming out with a coin finally for something that's listed on your site it doesn't change the value of what the the person the user has collected at that point if i'm understanding correctly is that right yeah, once it goes public, we feed in that final price, and then that's a fixed final settlement price that you can get. You could then take that and buy the real thing um, if you wanted to, um, or, or you might have just been interested in going um, through the private stage of things, and you don't care when it's public. So how do you plan to actually teach people about this kind of stuff? Like, do you, Are you planning on doing lots of articles and videos and things like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, we'd like to explore um, some explainer articles, um, explainer videos. Um, but hopefully our UI will be simple enough um, that these kinds of things won't be necessary. Um, on the website as well, the ideal state is that there's some kind of onboarding flow. So um, if you're completely new to it, you'd understand what's going on. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Geode Finance is an ETH2 ecosystem providing turnkey validator node solutions to the world of DeFi. By partnering with Geode, DeFi projects of all types can smoothly integrate ETH2 staking into their platform. Geode offers a means for protocols to increase profitability and enables individuals to stake their Ethereum in a more secure and decentralized manner. Stakers need only select their chosen representative and can begin staking immediately on the Geode platform. Geode launches soon, so follow us on Twitter at geode underscore finance and visit our website at geode.fi that's g-e-o-d-e dot f-i links to these items including our blog and discord are included in the youtube description for this episode thank you all for listening and if you're interested in eth2 staking please check out our sponsor now back to the show i have a quick question as well so i've pulled up this um, chart that you had sent along to to me uh, regarding private versus public markets and the availability to investors. Can you speak a little bit to this and like the value it's, it shows for PrePO? Yeah, so I guess that chart is basically talking about how, um, whereas in the past, the most of the gains were, well, a lot of the gains were made when it hits the public market and from the time it's IPO onwards. Um, but now we're seeing increasingly so that companies are staying private for longer and they're accumulating all that growth and valuation growth in the private stage. And once they go public, most of that growth has already happened. Um, and so it's really highlighting how important it is to be able to give people access to this private stage, which is going to be increasingly, um, which is showing to be increasingly where it begins to be made. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can just see just looking back 1986 Microsoft, how much of it was available on the public market versus, you know, getting closer to today, Google, Facebook and all these others. It's such a small percentage. So the opportunity is just lost. Um, which, yeah, exactly. yeah, a lot of people have kind of shown said that that message before about DeFi and crypto is about making things more accessible to other people. But I guess this really does show how that works. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, missing out on these like a thousand X's and then you're talking like um, percentage gains once it goes public. Excellent. And can you take us through like a couple simulator examples, like uh, just run some numbers and I'll show them on screen? Yeah, sure. Um, let's say you're a trader going long. Oh, so you got, you've got the advanced mode on. Uh, maybe, maybe make it the simple mode. There we go. Um, yeah. Let's go long. So continue. Okay. Um, oh, nice. Okay. Well, I'll let you choose. Which, which one do you want to trade? Oh, geez. That's a tough choice. Um, I think I'm going to go with SpaceX. I'm good. Um, so you can play out different scenarios here. Um, so this is a random scenario where you've entered at the very top of the range and you suddenly, um, that's not actually the valuation. It redeems it. 214 billion, but let's say we're very bullish on this and we get in early on this preview market. Um, so maybe let's click the max profit button. Yeah, so you enter at the lower bound, exit at the top of bound. Um, let's see how that plays out. So let's save that and choose how much we deposit. Um, the good thing here is that um, there's no restrictions on deposit amounts, which is also another downside to the centralized alternatives, right? Um, in the centralized, centralized alternatives, often you need to deposit um, a minimum for each trade of 10,000 or more, um, which completely excludes many, many traders. So you could deposit just $100, for example, and that'd be fine. Um, yeah, so you have your position, um, Pretty much minimal fees. Um, you can you can play around with these different um, parameters as well. So if you edit, um, click the pencil next to position or next to rewards, you can change those different parameters there. Um, and yeah, the fees will be decided by governance as well. Um, so so yeah, would that be, yeah. just so I understand like where we're at in the stage. So let's say SpaceX was just added by governance. Um, mm -hmm. they would already have a fee that they decided on, correct? And then this would be entered here, but this is just like playing around with what the values could be decided by government. Exactly, right? exactly, okay. exactly, yeah. Okay, so, so I can read this. Real quick to try and uh, help me understand this. So would you actually have a valuation range set like that? Like 100 billion to 400 billion for someone to select? Yeah, um, the reason we have the valuation ranges is for um, two purposes. So one is um, in order to have these markets um, feasible for liquidity providers, um, we need to provide some downside protection. Um, if we just had an open range, right, from zero to infinite, um, then if the value goes to infinite, there's, that's going to be really, really costly for liquidity providers and no one will want to provide liquidity for these markets. Um, so instead of doing that, we provide a fixed range um, and if it goes outside of that range, then we can create a new market with a new range. But by nature of it being in a fixed range, every liquidity provider who provided in that original market knows the maximum loss that they can experience. And then feels very comfortable in providing liquidity for that market because they know the, the downside. They know um, what the upside is, which is all the fees and other layers of rewards. And so they can make that assessment um, and be much more willing to provide liquidity. Um, so basically, um, by having these valuation ranges, it solves that liquidity problem. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys planning anything like buybacks of tokens with the withdrawal fees, or do you think that that'll be a part of governance at all? 
Um, yeah, that can be also a governance decision. But what we would like to start it off with initially is that um, every distribution is in the terms of PPO tokens. Um, so if it does accumulate fees in um, some random token, um, we'll just change that into PPO tokens. Um, so you could view that as a bit of a buyback, yeah. Um, but we'd like to distribute everything in the PPO token um, to keep things simple and also to keep people um, aligned with um, the long-term success of PPO. So if someone was to unstake, they would still have their original assets, but any rewards would be paid out in PPO? Am I understanding that right? Yeah, all, all, all the rewards that they earn um, are in PPO. And of course, if they staked in PPO, then they're getting back PPO as well. So, okay. so let's say somebody deposits a hundred bucks. Uh, we have the position that's set at 283. So how does that number, where do you get that number from? Yeah, so here you've deposited a hundred bucks. Um, this is your trading profit from it um, exiting at the top of the range. Okay. Um, so, so you've made that profit because you've, um, the price has gone up and then okay. you get some additional layers of rewards um, just because in the background of our system, and there's a really novel aspect, um, everyone is earning um, yield farming rewards um, in the background based on their original deposit. So no matter if they made a profit or a loss, they're still going to get um, the same high yield you're going to get on a stable coin farm. Um, and therefore, um, if you're going to farm stable coins directly, instead of doing that, you could just do it indirectly via PPO and still earn those same rewards, but also earn um, PPO tokens on top and then rewards from your particular position as well. Okay, so this is saying that like, let's say you essentially bought in at 100 billion and it went up to 400 billion that your profit would be 283 or you'd be up to 283, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So you get 283 from your profit, um, from your position, but then you also get additional rewards from that your farming and PPO tokens. Gotcha. Um, if, you liquidated, if you liquidated them. Mm -hmm. um, and so your overall profit would be much, much higher actually. And what kind of time frame would this be based on? Yeah, so in for the rewards, we assume a one-year time frame. Um, okay. For the position, it doesn't depend on time frame at all. Okay. Let's go through another position. Uh, let's see. So we went long as a trader. Um, what if we were just like an LP provider? So what would that be like? Uh, straight up. So your LP, let's save that. Let's say we're providing liquidity for something else. So I'll let you choose one. All right, we'll try pre-token and we'll go for MetaMask. Sure. So as with all liquidity provision, um, you're trying to remain neutral. So if the price moves a lot, um, that could affect your profit or loss, um, but you're earning um, basically all the trading fees or some percentage of all the trading that happens in, in the underlying pools. Um, what we've done is taken some mechanisms to um, try and minimize that loss. So of course, by there being a valuation range, um, there is um, a maximum possible loss you can have as a liquidity provider um, if the price moves. Um, but you can play out different scenarios here. So let's say that you entered um, your liquidity um, provider position at, um, well, let you choose one, maybe in the middle. Um, that's the exit one. Yeah, let's move the entry one to the middle as well. Like this one? Yeah. 
or yeah. like right on top of each other? Either is fine. Um, so yeah, the, the price is around the middle. The price hasn't moved. Um, so you're going to be earning um, some amounts on your position. Um, do you want to click the update button next to position? Yeah. So with $100 deposit, you've earned 25% from the pool fees. Mm. And then um, you've also earned some rewards on top. So the collateral farming that's happening in the background, um, that earns you 18%. And then um, you're also getting some PPO distribution. And so you've got some pretty high overall profit. Um, we might want to, again, as an LP, explore, okay, but what's my like worst case scenario? So you might click maximum loss. And you'll see, um, you'll still earn fees, which is positive, and that offsets a lot of things. Um, you lose some amount from the price movements, um, but overall, um, the position has remained pretty neutral here. So that's your worst case. And then you're being incentivized with rewards on top. Um, so it's actually, yeah, in, in this particular scenario, it's, it's playing out pretty well, um, even in the worst case. And so as an assessment, um, you might think it's a liquidity provider um, that it makes a lot of sense to LP here because um, I'm being rewarded regardless of whether um, the price moves negatively or not. Yeah, I had a question about that because earlier we did it and they were both right on top of each other and I, there was still a profit earned from that. So what time period would this be? Like, let's say, would this be like I've staked for a month, a year, but what time would I have to stake to earn this kind of profit off a valuation range that doesn't change? Yeah, so this all depends on um, the fees earned and the rewards earned over the time that you're staking, right? So you can go to the pencil icon and you can change those different um, APRs um, and try out like what, what that would look like. What's the assumption here? I mean, this says 174. Is this assuming I'm staking for a month though? Like, I, I guess I'm confused about the period that this is assuming. Yeah, yeah, this is all assuming a year. I think that it says that in the okay. tooltip as well. Um, in advanced mode, you can also change the holding period. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes more sense. And with the APR, is that something that would be set by the governance or is that calculated in some other way? Um, so the collateral farming, that's just whatever APR um, is offered by our particular yield farming strategy. Um, so that for stable coins, that's anywhere from five to 15% or higher, um, depending on what we're implementing. So we don't, we don't choose that, but we inherit that. Um, PPO distributions, um, governance might have a particular target um, APR to make it um, worthwhile for liquidity providers, um, but we don't intend to rely on um, the PPO distributions. So even without any PPO rewards, it should still make sense as a liquidity provider. So basically the rewards will be the initial incentive for people to, to adopt this, but then at some point it'll just be the rewards off the position and, and people will have to purchase the token if they want to participate in governance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's more of a cherry on top of the PPO um, distribution. And do you have a set amount of PPO that's going to be offered? And would you actually, because I know you're going to be doing, you know, pre-tokens, would you actually have an ability for people to, 
you know, place these kinds of bets essentially on the PPO token itself? <laughs> yeah, it's been raised before. Um, it, it would be very experimental to do that. Um, so we're not sure if that is the way to go, but mm -hmm. maybe on a test net, we could explore that. Yeah, that'd be an interesting, <laughs> it'd be an interesting <laughs> thing to play around with. Yeah, I have a question just about scaling, because I can imagine the more projects that get added to this, the harder it's going to be to manage it with the team. So um, I guess, how have you guys planned for that growth to maintain yourselves as a decentralized uh, entity while, while still being able to manage these different um, assets that'll be, or synthetic assets that'll be added to your platform? Yeah, um, good question. The good thing is that there isn't much management required. Once the market has been created, there isn't any maintenance that we have to do there really um, until it goes public. Um, and the governance, that's, a, that's one of the reasons why we're building up the community so much because the governance will be taken care of um, settling each of these markets when they do go public. Um, also in the um, occasional case where we might wanna mi migrate the market. Um, so maybe we started out very early stage and we set an evaluation range of like uh, zero to 50 million. Um, but then it's gaining a lot of traction, got some big backers. And now that doesn't seem relevant any anymore. And we want to set it from a hundred million to a billion. Um, then we would create a new market for that. Um, but this will all be in the hands of governance. You can imagine that we might want to um, incentivize um, governance participants with PPO rewards as well. Um, so yeah. Um, it, it'll all be in the hands of community and that's how it will scale. Have you actually started doing any kind of governance at this point? It, it's all, um, because we don't have the token, it's no token voting. So it's all, all just via discussions in uh, Discord. Gotcha. And then when, uh, when do you expect to actually launch like the live product? Yeah, so... In terms of what we're aiming for, we have the NFC game coming out very soon. Um, later this year, we'll have our um, test net up, um, so our MVP up, um, and also the launch of the governance and the token. And then early next year, um, we'll be having some audits as well as the main net launch. Well, that was pretty much all of my questions. I was just going to ask Xavier, uh, what other kind of DeFi projects or NFT projects are you interested in in the space? Yeah, um, in terms of DeFi projects, I really like um, Uniswap V3 and um, that kind of concentrated liquidity model because that's, that's a real game changer um, in terms of the amount of capital efficiency um, that you can achieve compared to V2. Um, actually, in our underlying AMM layer is using um, concentrated liquidity logic, which makes it um, additionally um, more attractive for liquidity providers and also traders. So, yeah, we're really thank thankful for the invention of that um, tech. Um, on the NFT side, um, I haven't really seen many games um, that I'm impressed with. And I think the, 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 the space is still very, very early. And so I think us creating a game is um, us trying to kind of kickstart the um, the game movement, I know it's already taking place, but um, we want to play a part in um, the growth of the NFC gaming space, which I think will be huge um, as it integrates all these different metaverse aspects as well. Oh, I that couldn't actually, agree more. 
But yeah, so with with something like that, especially because I, I assume this is going to be an Ethereum based project. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So with gas fees the way they are, like how does how does playing a game work exactly? Like, is there some kind of interface that doesn't actually require transactions to happen? And if they do at a certain time, like oh well, that that that, that would be clever, yeah. Um, but our our game is actually being launched on Polygon um, for okay. the exact reason you talked about. Um, gotcha. because yeah it's not feasible to have a game on the main net um to be honest um, yeah. but maybe when the layer twos are, are ready for it mm -hmm. um they might even be ready for it now um yeah we we could explore um launching on them as well um it's still going to be pretty expensive like every single action is going to be um you know multiple cents or even a dollar um so it, it still cuts out a lot of people especially if it's a game with a lot of interactions. Yeah. Um, like, that's I, I'm quite excited by Immutable X um, apparently solves this. Um, and so we could explore that as well. Um, I think that doesn't have any gas costs, but it still has the same security as Ethereum. So I think that could be really interesting. Okay. Yeah, what are the what are the fees on Polygon like right now? I, I have not gotten around to playing around on Polygon yet. Polygon gas fees are basically zero. Like it's 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 negligible. Um, of course, there are some like um, trade-offs in terms of decentralization, um, but I would say it's decentralized enough. Um, and yeah, they they'll, they'll have some their own like solutions that are more in line with the um, approaches of like Optimism or Arbitrum um, in terms of having more security guarantees. Okay. So, I mean, like, is Solana probably, like, similarly cheap to do that? Because that's one of the things, like, I have been wondering about Star Atlas is, like, I'm thinking about all the things that you would do in a large-scale video game like that. Mm. And there's this, like, this endless amount of interactions that would take place that I'm, like, trying to wrap my head around how expensive it would be to just function, you know? Yeah, is um, Star Atlas on Solana? Yeah. Yeah, it's on Solana. And I, I haven't played around on Solana yet either. I've, I've pretty yeah, much stuck to it. <laughs> um, I'd imagine that it's um, yeah, quite similar in gas costs to um, Polygon. Okay. And what made you choose Polygon over like anything else just because it integrates with Ethereum? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, we're all familiar with building on Ethereum and because it's com compatible there and there are nice bridges from um, Ethereum to Polygon. Um, it makes a lot of sense to just build that. Cool. Fry, you got any other questions? I think that was it for me. Just um, if you wanted to close with anything else about Repo, if you want to share your value statement again or anything else you want to discuss with us about the project. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on the show. Um, for any listeners, um, we'd love you to join our community and stay tuned for exciting developments with Repo and also our game um, coming out very soon. Excellent. Thank you again for coming on, Xavier. Appreciate having you. Yeah, you have Thanks, a good guys. one. You too. Cheers.